Section 5 of Historic Adventures Tales from American History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Merritt. Historic Adventures Tales from American History by Rupert S. Holland. Chapter 5, Part 1 How the Young Republic Fought the Barbary Pirates. Long after pirates had been swept from the western ocean, they flourished in the Mediterranean Sea. They hailed from the northern coast of Africa, where between the Mediterranean and the desert of Sahara stretched what were known as the Barbary States. These states were Morocco, Algeria, Tunis, Tripoli, and the tiny state of Barca, which was usually included in Tripoli. Algeria, or as it was commonly called from the name of its capital, Algiers, was the home of most of the Mediterranean pirates. There was hardly a port in the whole of that inland sea that had not seen a fleet of the pirates' boats sweep down upon some innocent merchant vessel, board her, overpower the crew, and carry them off to be sold in the African slave markets. Their ships were usually square-rigged sailing vessels, which were commonly called galleons. The pirates did not trust to cannon, and the peculiar shape of the ships gave them a good chance for hand-to-hand -hand fighting. The dark-skinned crew would climb out on the long lateen yards that hung over their enemy's deck and drop from the yards and from the rigging, their sabers held between their teeth, their loaded pistols stuck in their belts so that they might have free use of their hands for climbing and clinging to ropes and gunnels. Strange as it seems, the great countries of Europe made no real effort to destroy these pirates of the Barbary Coast, but instead actually paid them bribes in order to protect their crews. The larger countries thought that as they could afford to pay the tribute that the pirates demanded, and their smaller rivals could not, the pirates might actually serve them by annoying other countries. So England and France and the other big nations of Europe put up with all sorts of insults from the hands of these Moorish buccaneers. And many times their consuls were ill-treated and their sailors made to work in slave gangs because they had not paid as much tribute as the Moors demanded. Many an American skipper fell into the hands of these corsairs. The brig Polly of Newburyport, Massachusetts, was headed for the Spanish port of Cadiz in October 1793, when she was overhauled by a brig flying the English flag. As the brig came near, her captain hailed the Polly in English, asking where she was bound. Meanwhile, the brig ran close in beside the Polly, and the Americans saw a large number of men, Moors, by the look of their beards and dress, sprang up from under the rail. This crew launched a big boat, and nearly one hundred men, armed with swords, pistols, spears, and knives, were rowed up to the Polly. The Moors sprang on board. The Yankees were greatly outnumbered, and were driven into the cabin, while the pirates broke open all the trunks and chests and stripped the brig of everything that could be moved. The prisoners were then rowed to the Moorish ship, which sailed for Algiers. 
There they were landed and marched to the palace of the day, or ruler of Algiers. While the people clapped their hands, shouted, and gave thanks for the capture of so many Christian dogs. They were put in prison where they found other Americans and nearly 600 Christians of other countries, all of whom were treated as slaves. On the next day, each captive was loaded with chains, fastened around his waist, and joined to a ring about his ankle. They were then set to work in rigging and fitting out ships, in blasting rocks in the mountains, or carrying stones for the palace the day was building. Their lot was little better than that of the slaves of olden times, who worked for the pharaohs. As more American sailors were captured and made slaves, their friends at home grew more and more eager to put an end to these pirates. And when the revolution was over, the young Republic of the United States began to heed the appeals for help that came from the slave markets along the Barbary Coast. The Republic found, however, that so long as England and France were paying tribute to the pirates, it would be easier for her to do the same thing than to fight them. The American Navy was very small, and the Mediterranean was far distant. England seemed actually to be encouraging the pirates, thinking that their attacks on American ships would injure the country that had lately won its independence. So the United States made the best terms it could with the rulers of Algiers, Morocco, Tunis, and Tripoli, and paid heavy ransoms for the release of the captives. There was little self-respect or honor among the Moorish chiefs, however. One day succeeded another, each more greedy than the last, and each demanded more tribute money, or threatened to seize all the Americans he could lay hands upon. The consuls had to be constantly making presents in order to keep the Moors in good humor, and whenever the day felt the need of more money, he would demand it of the United States consul and threatened to throw him in prison if he refused. This state of affairs was very unpleasant for free men, but for a number of years it had to be put up with. When Captain Bainbridge dropped anchor off Algiers in command of the United States frigate George Washington, the day demanded that he should carry a Moorish envoy to Constantinople with presents for the Sultan of Turkey. Bainbridge did not like to be treated as a messenger boy, but the day said, You pay me tribute by which you become my slaves. I have therefore a right to order you as I may think proper. Bainbridge had no choice but to obey the command, or leave American vessels at the mercy of the Moors. And so he carried the day's presence to the Sultan. As all the Barbary states throve on war, in that way gaining support from the enemies of the country they attacked, one or the other was constantly making war. In May 1801, the Pasha of Tripoli declared war against the United States, cut down the American flagstaff at his capital, and sent out his pirate ships. In reply, the United States ordered a squadron of four vessels under command of Commodore Richard Dale to sail to the Mediterranean. This squadron did good service capturing a number of the galleys of Tripoli, and exchanging Moorish prisoners for American slaves. But the pirates were like a swarm of hornets. They stung wherever they got a chance, and as soon as the warships were out of sight, they would steal out from their hiding places to terrorize the coast. 
the United States had to keep sending squadrons to act as policemen. When the fleet kept together, the Moors had proper respect for them, but once the ships separated, they became the target for the Hornets. The frigate Philadelphia, of 36 guns, was detailed in October 1803 to blockade the port of Tripoli. The morning after she reached there, she saw a ship inshore, preparing to sail westward. The frigate gave chase, and as the other vessel carried the colors of Tripoli, the frigate opened fire. As she chased the moor, the Philadelphia ran on a shelving rock that was part of a long reef. Her crew worked hard to get her off, but she stuck fast. As the moors on shore saw the plight of the Philadelphia, they manned their boats, and soon she was surrounded by a swarm of pirate galleys. The galleys sailed under the fire of the frigate's heavy guns and came up to close quarters where the cannon could not reach them. The Americans were helpless, and by sunset, Commodore Bainbridge had to strike his flag. As soon as he surrendered, the Moors swarmed over the sides of his ship, broke everything they could lay their hands on, stripped officers and men of their uniforms, and tumbled them into the small boats. The prisoners were landed at night and led to the castle gate. The sailors were treated as slaves, but the officers were received by the Pasha in the great marble-paved hall of his palace, where that ruler, dressed in silks and jewels, and surrounded by a gorgeous court, asked them many questions, and later offered them supper. But the favor of the Pasha was as fickle as the wind. Within a day or two he was treating the American officers much as he treated his other Christian captives, and the crew, 307 in number, were working as slaves. Meantime, the Moors, using anchors and cables, succeeded in pulling the Philadelphia off the reef, and the frigate was pumped out and made seaworthy. She was brought into the harbor, to the delight of the Pasha and his people, at owning so fine a warship. The loss of the Philadelphia was a severe blow, not only to American pride, but to American fortunes. The squadron was now much too small for service, and Bainbridge and his crew were hostages the United States must redeem. It fell to the lot of Commodore Preble to take charge of the American ships in the Mediterranean, and he began to discuss terms of peace with Tripoli through an agent of the Pasha at Malta. By these terms, the frigate Philadelphia was to be exchanged for a schooner and the Moorish prisoners in Preble's hands, sixty in number, were to be exchanged for as many of the American prisoners in Tripoli, and the rest of the American captives were to be ransomed at $500 a man. Before these terms were agreed upon, however, a more daring plan occurred to the American Commodore, and on February 3, 1804, he entrusted a delicate task to Stephen Decatur, who commanded the schooner Enterprise. Decatur picked a volunteer crew, put them on board the ship Cyrene and Intrepid, and sailed for Tripoli. They reached that port on February 7th, and to avoid suspicion, the Intrepid drew away from the other ship and anchored after dark about a mile west of the town. A small boat with a pilot and midshipman 
was sent in to reconnoiter the harbor. They reported that the sea was breaking across the western entrance, and as the weather was threatening, advised Decatur not to try to enter that night. The two American ships, therefore, stood offshore and were driven far to the east by a gale. The weather was so bad that it was not until February 16th that they returned to Tripoli. This time the intrepid sailed slowly toward the town, while the siren, disguised as a merchantman, kept some distance in the rear. The frigate Philadelphia, now the Pasha's prize ship, lay at anchor in the harbor, and the intrepid slowly drifted toward her in the light of the new moon. No one on ship or shore realized the real purpose of the slowly moving intrepid. Had the men at the forts on shore or the watchman at the Pasha's castle suspected her purpose, they could have blown her from the water with their heavy guns. The intrepid drifted closer and closer, with her crew hidden, except for six or eight men dressed as Maltese sailors. Decatur stood by the pilot at the helm. When the little ship was about 100 yards from the Philadelphia, she was hailed and ordered to keep away. The pilot answered that his boat had lost her anchor in the storm and asked permission to make fast to the frigate for the night. This was given, and the Moorish officer on the Philadelphia asked what the ship in the distance was. The pilot said she was the transfer, a vessel lately purchased at Malta by the Moors, which was expected at Tripoli about that time. The pilot kept on talking in order to lull the Moors' suspicions and meantime the little intrepid came close under the bow of the Philadelphia. Just then the wind shifted and held the schooner away from the frigate and directly in range of her guns. Again the Moors had a chance to destroy the American boat and crew if they had known her real object. They did not suspect it, however. Each ship sent out a small boat with a rope, and when the ropes were joined the two ships were drawn close together. When the vessels were almost touching, someone on the Philadelphia suddenly shouted, Americanos! At the same moment, Decatur gave the order, Board! And the American crew sprang over the side of the frigate and jumped to her deck. The moors were huddled on the forecastle. Decatur formed his men in line and charged. The surprised moors made little resistance and Decatur quickly cleared the deck of them. Some jumped into the sea, and others escaped in a large boat. The Americans saw they could not get the Philadelphia safely out of the harbor, and so quickly brought combustibles from the Intrepid, and stowing them about the Philadelphia, set her on fire. In a very few minutes she was in flames, and the Americans jumped from her deck to their own ship. It took less than 20 minutes to capture and fire the Philadelphia. Decatur ordered his men to the oars, and the intrepid beat a retreat from the harbor. But now the town of Tripoli was fully aroused. The forts opened fire on the little schooner. A ship commanded the channel through which she had to sail, but fortunately for the intrepid the moor's aim was poor and the only shot that struck her was one through the topgallant sail. The harbor was brightly lighted now. The flames had run up the mast and rigging of the Philadelphia, and as they reached the powder, loud explosions echoed over the sea. 
Presently the cables of the frigate burned, and the Philadelphia drifted ashore and blew up. In the meantime, the Intrepid reached the entrance safely, and joining the Siren, set sail for Syracuse. The blowing up of the Philadelphia was one of the most daring acts ever attempted by the United States Navy, and won Decatur great credit. It weakened the Pasha's strength and kept his pirate crews in check. Instead of making terms with the Moorish ruler, the United States decided to attack his capital, and in the summer of 1804, Commodore Treble collected his squadron before Tripoli. On August 3rd, the fleet approached the land batteries, and in the afternoon began to throw shells into the town. The Moors immediately opened fire, both from the forts and from their fleet of 19 gunboats and two galleys that lay in the harbor. Preble divided his ships and ordered them to close in on the enemy's vessels, although the latter outnumbered them three to one. Again Decatur was the hero of the fight. He and his men boarded a Moorish gunboat and fought her crew hand to hand across the decks. He captured the first vessel and then boarded a second. Decatur singled out the captain, a gigantic Moor, and made for him. The Moor thrust at him with a pike, and Decatur's cutlass was broken off at the hilt. Another thrust of the pike cut his arm, but the American seized the weapon, tore it away, and threw himself on the moor. The crews were fighting all around their leaders, and a Moorish sailor aimed a blow at Decatur's head with a scimitar. An American seaman struck the blow aside, and the scimitar gashed his own scalp. The Moorish captain, stronger than Decatur, got him underneath, and drawing a knife was about to kill him, when Decatur caught the moor's arm with one hand, thrust his other hand into his pocket, and fired his revolver. The moor was killed, and Decatur sprang to his feet. Soon after, the enemy's crew surrendered. The other United States ships had been almost as successful, and the battle taught the Americans that the Barbary pirates could be beaten in hand-to-hand -hand fighting as well as at long range. Decatur caught the moor's arm. The Pasha was not ready to come to terms, even after the day's defeat, however and on August 7th, Commodore Preble ordered another attack. Again the harbor shook under the guns of the fleet and the forts, and at sunset, Treble had to withdraw. To avoid further bloodshed, the Commodore sent a flag of truce to the Pasha and offered to pay $80,000 for the ransom of the American prisoners and to make him a present of $10,000 more. The Pasha, however, demanded $150,000, and Preble was not willing to pay that amount. So later in August he attacked Tripoli again. Each of these bombardments did great damage to the city, but the forts were too strong to be captured. The blockading fleet, however, held its position, and on September 3rd opened fire again in the last of its assaults. In spite of the heavy firing, the Pasha refused to pull down his flag. On the night of September 4th, a volunteer crew took the little intrepid into the harbor. She was filled with combustibles, and when she was close to the Moorish ships, 
the powder was to be fired by a fuse that would give time for the crew to escape in a small boat the night was dark and the fleet soon lost sight of the fire ship she took the right course through the channel but before she was near the moors she was seen and they opened fire on her then came a loud explosion and the intrepid with her crew was blown into the air no one knows whether one of the enemy's shots or her own crew fired the powder this was the greatest disaster that befell the united states navy during all its warfare with the barbary pirates soon after commodore preble sailed for home though most of his fleet were kept in the mediterranean to protect american sailing vessels the government at washington tired with the long warfare in the mediterranean soon afterward ordered the consul in algiers tobias lear to treat for peace with the pasha a bargain was finally struck one hundred moors were exchanged for as many of the american captives and sixty thousand dollars were paid as ransom for the rest june four eighteen o five the american sailors who had been slaves for more than nineteen months were released from their chains and sent on board the warship constitution the pasha declared himself a friend of the united states and saluted its flag with twenty-one guns from his castle and forts in the barbary states rulers followed one another in rapid succession he who was day or pasha one week might be murdered by an enemy the next and that enemy on mounting the throne was always eager to get as much plunder as he could treaties meant little to any of them and so other countries kept on paying them tribute for the sake of peace the united states fell into the habit of buying peace with algiers tripoli morocco and tunis by gifts of merchandise or gold or costly vessels but the more that was given to them the more greedy these moorish rulers grew and so it happened that from time to time they sent out their pirates to board american ships in order to frighten the young republic into paying heavier tribute seven years later the second chapter of our history with the barbary pirates opened end of section five part one